Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this Monday's edition of the Terrace Scotch Football Podcast. You've not heard my voice in a while. My name's Gary Cocker, for those of you who don't remember. But I am joined by two names and two faces. Faces? You're not seeing them. I am. Two voices that should be very recognisable. First of all, uh, we're going to uh, Lee's own uh, gravelly voice, Adonis. It's Tony Anderson. Oh, thanks, Gary. How are you doing? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I, I just went with Leith because it's Hibs. I, I appreciate you don't live in Leith, but I'm not going to give your address out to people. I'm also not going to give out the address, but I will give the postcode. I'll give the postcode. It's ML1's finest. It's Graham Thulis. Hi, Gary. How's it going? I'm on a Monday podcast. What, what a rush. What a rush it is. <laughs> you say what a rush. What a rush it is to remind yourself of the results from the weekend, um, because if you support certain teams who will come to later on, you just don't give a shit anymore. But... Anyway, we're not here to talk about Dundee just yet. Instead, we are going to take you through the title race, the European race, whatever's happening at the bottom. And we might fit in Hibs Aberdeen as well. Uh, We'll just see what happens because I don't think even Tony cares at this stage. But I'll tell you who does care. It's the, uh, the good men of the East End of Glasgow who took one step closer to the title at the weekend, winning as they did in the early game on Saturday, 4 1 against uh, European, I was going to say European hopefuls, they're not hopefuls anymore, European confirmed people, Hearts of Midlothian Football Club. Hearts obviously went ahead early on uh, through Ellis Sims um, before Celtic decided, nah, we're not having this, and just went out and scuttled them. Uh, Tony, I think you said that you watched this game. Um, you did, excellent. Um, obviously we all did, but you in particular uh, will have some views, I'm sure, about the uh, the boys in green and white. At any point in this game, did you think, oh, this might actually get interesting? Or uh, did you view uh, Sims' early goal as an aberration that would I was, um, soon be sorted I got out? The, I managed to get the second half of this, if I'm honest. I was coming back from my uh, Mandy's brother's wedding, which was on in Grangemouth, uh, a, a Craig Telfer favourite, on the Friday night. So I was struggling away and I got in and I saw you guys all talking about it. Everyone getting excited when the Sims scored. And then by the time I'd got home, Celtic had already turned that over and normal service had resumed. But, I mean, when I, when I watched the, the highlights back in the first half, I don't want to seem rude, but it did seem like Celtic just were all over them the second that that goal kind of went in. Is that not what happened? Because on the highlights, it just came chance. Like, Kyogo had plenty of chances straight after that. Um, Hart sort of, like, I think Nielsen even said it, that maybe they just scored a bit early. I always quite enjoy the idea of scoring too early. Um, I just as a as a principle, do you know, what, 
it's hearts in Glasgow if they can score at all <laughs> then that's a step in the right direction to be quite honest so it's just a gentle build up towards the cup final that they've got as well um, Celtic well Sims goal is really good and I, the more we see of Sims the more that I kind of hope he sticks around next season as well on the basis that he's just such a good finisher and to be the sheer size and power that he is as well obviously you'll remember that well from the derby Tony of just shrugging off guys who are seasoned um, Scottish Premiership defenders and just throwing them about like empty trackies and that's what a heart centre forward's meant to be that's what that's what heart centre forwards always are they're just big big horrible bastards and he's, he's, he's great value and again in this game as well although it's a, it's a really sort of short period of time just showed his quality within there as well but so much of Celtic's play just it, it kind of felt a little bit like they were targeting Atkinson down the right hand side um, which I don't know, it's, the, the way that Celtic play, they can target just about anyone they really want in the league at this point, whether it's a left-back, right-back, centre-half, so they're going to pick off at somebody. But it certainly felt that they were going at sort of uh, going at Hart's right-hand side down their left. And It reaches this point in the season, you kind of feel like you're almost running out of superlatives to, to talk about teams, um, particularly Celtic this season as well. We saw uh, O'Reilly come into the starting lineup as well, so because presumably just give Rogic a bit of a sit down for a little while as well and now that you've got Furuhashi back to what looks almost like full fitness as well it's now just a case of Celtic looking around going right how many of these boys are we going to keep for next season and what if if anyone is departing if they're unable to hold on to Jota which the longer that goes on the less likely it potentially seems Um, I think if they'd Managed to sign up a, a, a seal a deal around sort of December January time. Um, then you go at oh, Brown. That's, that's I'm sorry for next season, but he's he's just so good um, uh, out on the wing as well, and the the way in which he's able to, the way in which all of the front three are able to interchange in a way as well is, is just really impressive. And the depth uh, within that Celtic team as well, with Giacomacchus come off the bench, and even Forrest coming back into the side as well, just offering a little bit more as well, and just a reminder that. Although he's got a, a much reduced role in the Celtic team, I do. I, I, a lot of people think that he's, his time at Celtic is done. I still think there is a place for James Forrest as a as a player in the Celtic um, team as well. Just to, to interject there, because it was interesting. I mean, in terms of Sims and the guy and his finishing technique, but the power, like the, the mixes it, is is quite frightening. <laughs> like, really, because yeah. normally, especially at our level, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful. I love it, but normally it's like players. Kevin Nisbet will use as a good example. He always wants to place it. He always he always tries to use his side foot to get control. He really goes for accuracy uh, above power. Whereas you see with Sims coming in, you, you've got the usual thing that you go to, the physicality of a guy that's come through an English Premier League side. That's normally quite common that we see that, that they come in and they're much bigger and they're much stronger from, from a really young age. But his finishing, the, the coupling of the aggression in the strike coupled with the accuracy is, is, is woof. And he's getting better and better. And what I'm hoping, from, from my point of view, is it drags on really long them trying to get Sims in the summer. And then it, and then it, and it falls through at the end and that leaves them scrambling around to get a replacement. That's my hope. Well, you, you saw someone like you saw at the start of the season, particularly as well, when uh, Beningame came into the heart side as well, similarly on loan from Everton as well. And you look at Beningame and go, "You're a, you're a very good player. You're undoubtedly a very good player." Are you going to make it at Everton? Probably not. Like there's, you're just lacking in a few a few areas. Sims, on the other hand, you look at him and go, 
I, I can fully see you becoming a, a, a much bigger part of that Everton side uh, moving forward as well. So if they're going to hang on to one of them, then I would imagine it's going to be, it, it would be Benigam out of the two. If you if that's what to pick at this stage, I think it would be you would pick Sims at this point because he does he offers something an awful lot more um, than anyone else in that heart side can. It also lets you play Liam Boyce as a ten, which seems to be where Nielsen wants to put him, and understandably so. It's yeah, it's it, it offers so much in there, um, really really impressive. On the flip side, uh, we sort of talked about this a little bit in the group chat on, on uh, Saturday as well when we were watching the game. I'm kind of just a little bit disappointed in Civic. Um, I know his, his spell with Hearts previously was wildly short, so it's kind of difficult to judge anyone massively in terms of the limited time that he had previously, but he looked like a better player at the time. Every time I've seen him this season, I, I'm aware that Hearts fans are probably no better than I do, but he just looks like everything's just a, a step too quick for him. Um, things kind of happen around him, and he's always just that little bit slow to react to it, and dropping him into midfield for this game... Again, it's, it's maybe not his best position in there as well. I thought he really struggled, um, particularly in there. Um, Hearts broadly put in a, 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 a relatively good shift for, was it 14 boys ultimately that are trying quite hard not to get hurt ahead of the, the cup final in a couple of weeks, but still putting in a bit of a performance. But yeah, it's Civic is the, I'd expected an awful lot more from him. Yeah, I, I'd assumed he was going to be the guy to come in and, and replace Suter after they knew that he was going to be heading off. He's just not, really quite picked up to speed yet. Uh, is there anything that you want to say about the, the return of um, your boy, David Turnbull, as well? I think this was his first uh, start since uh, December. Obviously, he's been out for a while uh, with a hamstring injury. Um, I can see you biting your lip in a, in a very... <laughs> oh, no, no, he's just, he's just, he's just, he's just, he just absolutely shits on John Higgins. He's the real wizard of Wisher. Um But yeah, he's like... I wish... Uh, it's been it's been an interesting week because he came back as well and you saw... Um, Alan Campbell picking up basically all of the the Player of the Year awards for Luton uh, the other night as well, and they've dropped themselves into the uh, the Premiership playoffs uh, down south as well. So again, it's hard, but it's one of those things you've watched these guys. It's, it's I feel a genuine, I, I in a way, sometimes when you see players leave your club, you're a wee bit chippy and a wee bit better about it. These two, nah, I still still absolutely love them to bits, and I want to see more of Turnbull at Celtic. He had. It felt like he'd really found his feet in the side until his leg fell off. Um, and I know it's a completely different injury to what he had previously. Um, but as soon as you've picked up two injuries, folks start labeling his injury prone, which is simply just not the case. Um, and I really do hope he, he, he gets more time before the end of the season as well. And then he kicks on at the start of next season because I think he's going to be a, I think he will be longer term a key player for, for it's, Celtic. It's really, Monster. it's really, sorry, it's, it's really, it's really handy for, for Celtic because, Roderick won't go on forever, and it's like Turnbull's like the perfect sort of replacement for him. I, I would argue that there's there's elements of Turnbull maybe being slightly even more rounded than than Roderick, but maybe not quite at his level yet in terms of uh, what he would give in, in, a, in an output, or maybe what he'd give in sort of drive and dribbling ability quite yet. But I mean, it just starts to worry you as a as, as a fan of like any other team. It's like when when O'Reilly was coming in there, for example, Ang O'Reilly is ridiculous. The the levels that he's got as a twenty one year old and the ability he's got to do absolutely everything already, including like the shooting ability that you, that you saw when he hit the post and obviously when getting a goal, he's got the size, he's got the drive, he dribbles, he's quick, his awareness is good, his touch is good, and you're like, Celtic have really done a number getting him over 
at the time because I'm it's just one of those that you think God, another year down down south or whatever. Surely other bigger clubs would have sort of noticed him and bring it in because I just think O'Reilly. I'm like a bit in awe of what he can do. I really think his ceiling is I, so high. I, I I think he's a stick on as being here for a, a, a yeah. here for a good time, not a long time. Um, because every time you see him, and again for for somebody that came in in January, he's already made it such an impression in that side as well. And. It was just—it's good for Celtic. They're going to have to—they've had to rotate. Um, it was only the other day I actually spent a bit of time digging it out and, and realizing that Hatati's season essentially started in like February 2021. Like, no wonder the boy needs a sit down. Um, so, aye, Celtic are, Celtic are quite good. Hearts are Hearts are also quite good, but not quite that good. Um, why does, sort of why does Craig Gordon really only on play one. shit at Parkhead? Because it seems to be something that every time I see him at Parkhead, there's an error, and there's never an error. Any other time at any other ground, and they seem to hate him. Why he's doing? He's still doing the job for you, even when he's not there. We'll move on to uh, well, a, a team that Celtic could secure the title um, playing uh, in midweek, uh, and that is Dundee United, who travelled to Ibrox uh, and um, immediately contracted. Well, not immediately. It took about fifty minutes to contract penalty to Rangers Itis as they went down two uh, 0 losers. Um, to a mildly rotated Rangers side, um, I think we can say, following their uh, European exploits. Um, I mean, I think first things first, I, I don't know what Ricky Foster's talking about when he's saying that should be a red card for Segris uh, for the penalty. It's a wild, wild shout um, all around. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but just confirm to me that there's nothing that I've missed and Ricky Foster's just seeing things no one else is. No, I did There was. It, it seemed a very strange thing to get terribly wound up about. You think you'd want? You think you'd want to keep a low profile if you're him right now as well? <laughs> well, he's not doing that. Um, but but going back to uh, going back to the game, I mean, it was it was a little bit of a shame for Segris, who I think had done what he tends to do uh, in some of these games, which is just to uh, keep Rangers at bay for quite some time. And obviously, there were a couple of. Uh, other chances that presented themselves to Rangers that they, they didn't quite take it as well as it should have, but in the end, it was still a probably a, a fairly comfortable victory, albeit one that Rangers would be going into with their minds on. I was different. I was things. quite. Imp- I, I managed to watch this game, and I, I was quite impressed. I think Rangers were really quite smart, bringing a couple of the younger players in to start in this game and obviously Aaron Ramsey to come in and, and, and start in this game. It was a good way of keeping the tempo up and keep people who really wanted to make a difference on the pitch after sort of what had happened uh, d- during the week. We talk about, I think we've spoken about this quite regularly on the podcast, how easy it is after the big game to, to, to fall down the next one. I mean, as a Hibs fan, I see it all the time if we've beaten like Rangers at Ibrox or we've beaten Hearts at Easter Road and Sunshine on Leith's been belted out during the week and then the weekend comes and you're playing literally anyone else. It's flat. Everyone waits in expectation uh, and then the players just can't raise raise it again. So I think Rangers were were quite cute in the way that they picked the team and then by even when it was only 1-0, they brought on so quite a few youngsters at that point, and Charlie McMahon came on, I think, for his debut, as, as, as far as I'm aware. They took Tavernier off, and they brought on, um, I think, Adam Devine, who came on it right back, and Diallo came on it at, at, at half-time, yep. and Lowry also came on. 
So I thought they were, they were quite smart, and, and Giovanni Brangot was quite smart in how he approached it. And the young players sort of piqued the interest of the of the fans. That brought them in, and they were they were being quite loud to to support them at times. So I thought, in terms of how to manage that type of game, I thought Van Bronckhorst done it quite well and, and quite cutely. He left the right players in, and I think it, it probably helps when Borna Barisic is now essentially the, the second choice left back. It's um, not a bad one to have. Um, obviously, he's slipped behind Calvin Bassey uh, in recent times, but you have a look through that team, and yet, you know, it is rotated. But as you say, it, it's, I think, still keeping enough of that, not professionalism, that's not the right way to put it, but, you know, keeping enough of a, a serious edge to it, uh, and people who sort of keep the standards up. Um, but then equally being able to, you know, once uh, once it looks a little bit in the bag, experiment a little. And ultimately, as we've already touched on as well for Rangers, going into this game, they knew that it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that there's any combination of results that's going to win them the title. Um, and it is more just about that sort of keeping the momentum ticking over, trying to protect as many players as possible before uh, they play Eintracht Frankfurt. And... Um, yeah, basically just getting up United, which I at least can get on board with. Um, returning to uh, Dundee United, um, obviously they've, they've got Celtic in midweek, which you would imagine that Celtic will just want to uh, absolutely confirm that the, the job is done and that their fans can uh, rest easy uh, a little bit. Um, and then just depending on what else happens, it could go down to the final day for United, Motherwell and County uh, picking up uh, the the two European spots that are in play, and I know we're going to touch on the the county Motherwell game in a little bit, but just on the base of the season so far, I think it is probably fair to say that Tam Courts has done a much better job than I think anybody on the podcast thought he would. Um, given that uh, I at least thought they are stick ons to finish bottom, <laughs> and look at me now, Muggins over here. Gary, Gary, they can appoint literally anyone as manager. You'd be starting the season thinking of the United were going down. I absolutely, you have to hold your hands up, and there's not been, with the exception of uh, maybe bringing Watt into the side as well. It has Watt and, uh, and Levis had like a few moments as well, but broadly, it's been in large parts the similar sort of team. Mulgrew added a, a, a little bit of quality and a little bit of. Uh, ability in the back line as well and a, a, a huge amount of experience in there and it's just been a few extra pieces that United have dropped into the team and has improved them massively that said United are spending an awful lot of money to finish currently as is what is it, a point two points ahead of ourselves ahead of Motherwell who are broadly fucking dreadful um, and have won two games in 16 so there, there, there is a bit of a balance to that as well. Um, kind of everyone, with the exception of Hearts, has kind of missed a trick this year. Uh, ultimately, and that the risk for everyone in the rest of the division is that Hearts then solidify receiving uh, Europa Conference League payments. First and foremost, you got a big pile of cash delivered at the door. You have a, a, you're now the biggest draw outside of the old firm in Celtic, so players are, are going to seek playing for you rather than. Uh, playing for Hibs or Aberdeen on the basis that you get what's four European trips at the very well, eight, eight, six European trips uh, the absolute minimum um, uh, eight guaranteed games which which then gets it's an awful lot of money flowing into Hearts almost immediately and for everybody else in the division I know that as the season kicked off Aberdeen will have been 
wanting that position. United have been wanting that position. Hibs will have wanted that position. Obviously, Aberdeen and Hibs made an absolute pig's ear of it. Uh, Hearts have taken it really without any great bother, ultimately, in the end. And there is like a, a real risk for the other teams now that with that extra money, it's going to create a sort of middle tier, essentially, um, within the division as well, where sort of Rangers and Celtic are out in front. Hearts then collect significantly more money than everyone else and can pick off whoever they want. Um, Scottish teams are going to be scouting in a small pool, so it's going to be a, a challenge for the remaining teams to try and close that gap moving forward. Remember, though, I've seen Hearts with money loads of times uh, and and royally fuck it up. Uh, SMG money springs to mind. <laughs> SMG money was when Jim Jeffries was, was in charge. Was in pension, not money though. That was the, Fitzroy <laughs> Simpson and Gordon Petrich. <laughs> so no, but no, you're, you, no, I know you, you are you are totally right, and it is and it is worrying for for everyone involved. And I, and I think that not just and I think you touched on a really a good point there, Graham, about try to judge Tam Courts. There's a there's a middle ground between. How good Dundee United done, and and the sort of default nature. I also think that comes up with Malky Mackay. Um, there's that. There's an element of de- default about it, and it also should, in terms of Stephen Glass, especially, couldn't have had a better season to come in at a club like Aberdeen when there's. It shows how badly he. I mean, we could all, we could talk about Hibs, which we will. But I mean, Stephen Glass, he he got a preseason. And then he got to go into a club and the rest of the league's shite. And he would have easily been able to buy himself another year by finishing sort of fourth and, and going for another one. But he got absolutely nowhere near that. But I've been on the podcast recently saying that the one thing I would be pleased about as a Dundee United fan is that they've got glaring holes that are really obvious about what they need to do in the transfer market and if they can keep the sort of the rest of the team together uh, and, and sort of gradually improved their style, which I said last week, I think Tam Courts has been good at. I don't think he's tried to run before he can walk. And you see elements of their, of their passing game and, and when they quicken up around the box, they don't do it all the time, but you do see that element. It's definitely something you see that they work on. And so in the next season, that might he's bought himself the time to maybe implement it on a, on a further level. So they, they have a chance to, to certainly do it. Um, to go to go to go back to Rangers briefly, um, there was an interesting thing in the game. They used our field as a as a as a false nine, and I, I thought it worked pretty well compared to some of the other iterations that they've been trying recently. Because I mean, they've been trying quite a few things with with Aribo being up front. Obviously, a ten it doesn't matter if everyone's injured. A ten's not getting on the on the pitch whatsoever. Um, and and he linked up quite well. Stephen Davis had the best game I've seen him have in, in, in a long time, uh, and he was linking really well up there. And then Diallo, on the other hand, getting on the pitch at half time, by far apart from the county game, the best I've seen Diallo. He was really really hungry, wanted the ball, he was trying to impress. And there's no doubt there's there's obviously talent there. But I'm guessing he must be getting worried because I was saying this to you on our podcast. Where does Diallo go from here if uh, if he doesn't do well in, for Rangers in the top flight in Scotland? It seems like the biggest sort of open goal for a young, wide, forty million attacking player to cut to get him. So there you go. You know, obviously, you know Morelos has, has had his injury concerns as well. So uh, and with Rangers' sort of long, sort of deep dive into European competition, it is sort of ready-made, especially with the the sort of the uh, the top sport view of Scottish football. 
for someone to come in and you know score for fun and to just sort of get minutes in the legs, etc. And the fact that that's not happening um, might make him panic slightly because the only place I can imagine going is maybe going abroad. Um, if you know, if there's say, I don't know, a team like. Verona or Girona. Uh, they don't have to rhyme with Verona. Um but you know, just a a team that maybe um you know, like go you know, go out that way or you know, potentially go to English Championship, but then if you go to English Championship because you're staying in country, it will seem just like that step down. So um who knows where uh who knows where Mr. Diallo um will end up next season. No, um, might see he might he might Rangers if he plays well his last few games, Rangers might think about taking the punt again on that on that right hand side. Uh, I'll be it'll be interesting to see. I imagine I'm getting the feeling that Diallo will go wherever uh, the club will just let him go wherever someone puts an offer in. That's I don't. He's not going to be a Man United player, so it'll be it'll be. I was going to say it'll be interesting. It probably won't even be interesting. I mean, you say that, but Phil Jones is still at Man United somehow, and I'm pretty sure he's been there for twenty years. Um, it's mad but um, we're not here to speak about Phil Jones um, but speaking about uh, people who probably feel like they don't belong where they are the final top six fixture was Ross County versus Motherwell and uh, Motherwell have drawn themselves right back into the mix for the European spots with who else but a Kevin Van Veen penalty coolly dispatched um, to uh, bring home the points from Dingwall and to set up a bit of a humdinger or finish the season Uh, I'm going to Mr Motherwell because who else am I going to go to for a game like this, uh, Graham, talk me through your emotions and talk me through, just talk me through the, uh, the the dreams of digging out that passport to head off to wherever you may head off to. Belarus or something. Um, I have come and gone on this team about 12 or 13 times this season now, and it's at the point where it's just getting fucking exhausting. Um, broadly, like we turned up in Dingwall and did a job. We had Alexander's at pains to highlight that we had a, a sickness bug throughout the throughout the team. Um, quite what that was, whether it was COVID related, I presume it's not on the basis that it's not really a thing anymore. Apparently, um, so we set up as a back three um, with Lamy, Oyala, and Donnelly, and it did feel very much like let's let, let's just be solid for an hour we reckon Slattery and uh, Kevin Van Veen have half an hour in them so let's just we'll, we'll just dig in for as long as we can get them on with an hour to go and then see what happens it worked very well held out for 60 minutes brought on Van Veen brought on uh, Slattery Van Veen scored about 5 minutes later with we'll get to the penalty in a minute and then essentially went to like a back a back 9 uh, for the following like twenty minutes and got a result. So like, as much of this season, like for, for big parts of the season, I felt like the team in the setup just hasn't made a lick of sense. Broadly, we're asking players to cover huge amounts of ground and be in two places at once. Essentially, setting up as a back three, a midfield four, and a, and a front three seems to suit us quite well. Um, certainly looked a, a good dose more solid than we have done. Still had to rely on our customary. Big daft save from Liam Kelly as well. Um, but we set up in this game in a way to do a job, to do a very particular job. Did it exactly as intended and it worked. And when you see results like this for us, you do want, like, as I say, big chunks of it hasn't made any sense to me all season long. But in fact, is Alexander quite good at this? And I, as I say, I've just come and gone in the team so many times at this point. I don't really quite understand where we're coming from, where we're doing. But we keep getting results just when we need them, same as Livingston game. 
Um, same as Aberdeen in the Cup, just digging out a result, getting the result that we need and then moving on with it. So, as you see, two games to go. Um, we've got the, the, the toughest of the uh, final day fixtures. Um, need, realistically, we're going to need to get something off hearts in midweek. The strangest thing about this is I feel like if if this was happening, say if Motherwell were, were top of the championship with this approach, I think everyone would look at it and go, well, fine. You know, you can't you can't argue with results, but I think the strange thing is that when you have that sort of approach in the Premiership, yeah, you know, you are looking at potentially qualifying for Europe, so you can't really complain. But there is still a weird thing where it's almost like, well, if you know that you're not going down, then you know, why why aren't we playing this entertaining, expansive football? Why are we basically, you know, why are we going for the end result rather than the entertainment yeah. which and it, it does feel, it, it does feel a little bit like Alexander's kind of got inside his head at various points this season as well and just changed a little bit of what we're doing or changed the approach or changed the mentality and it feels like he's done that two or three times now as well so I'm not entirely sure he knows quite what he wants at this moment in time but as I say keeps getting results so it's, it, it remains a very strange situation and even within the, the team that was picked on Saturday Liam Donnelly's out of contract at the end of the season. Ricky Lamy is supposed to be going to Dundee, but is at the moment possibly. And he's actively trying to back out of it um, as we speak. Mark O'Hara has signed a pre- <laughs> And he's actively yeah. trying to get out of moving to Dundee. He's also our best in our half. He's not even playing for us. Mark O'Hara, every, t- every time Mark O'Hara comes in, the team is performing well, but is also off to St Mirren at the end of the season. Like, I, it's just a whole series of things that don't make any sense, but the results keep coming and I, I, when you come up against a county, t- a county side that I guarantee over the last few weeks the goals have dried up to a degree and you would imagine that big chunks of that county side will be departing at the end of the season either um, down south or picked off by other teams in Scotland they might begin to look a little bit average without some of the guys that have started for them this year but they've got an awful lot more praise than we do, despite the fact that we're ahead of them. Um, and they've kind of had our season in reverse, and that they had a terrible start to the season, and a very good sort of second part of the season. We had a good start to the season, a dreadful second part of the season. So I'm not it's the, going looking and and being not, not that I'm going looking and desperately being desperately desperate for Motherwell to deserve credit. It just it all feels a little bit. There's two teams that have just had very very strange seasons. I mean, speaking of strange, no, Corey, no, just, uh, it was, it, it's spectacular. Talking of strange, I that's Motherwell's first away win in six months, and it looks like it's going to prepare them to to Europe. It's just it's it's been this one the, the strangest of seasons, really, in terms of everyone's crap. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone who'd be really totally happy about keeping their manager going into to next season, and um, I'm. I know you, Graham. You don't. You don't really want Alexander to stay, do you? For the for the subscribers of the Patreon, uh, you'll be getting your fanzine, which will have an article by me delving deeply into a history of mid, or a, a season of uh, rating everyone's misery <laughs> over the course of the season. Um, so I'm looking uh, just to be just to be just to be had to, to that. Genuinely, Tony, I don't know. It, it it's a conf- it's a very confusing situation, and emptying a guy who has you finishing fifth feels like a very stupid thing to do. Because you finish, you finish fifth, and you can you can point to the fact that Aberdeen have been poor, and Hibs have been poor, and St Mirren chucked it, and Livingston chucked it. We didn't though. Like ultimately, we're fifth. They're not. If we finish ahead of County um, and take that European spot, then by any measure, 
in just about any Motherwell team in my lifetime, finishing behind Rangers, Celtic, Hearts and Dundee United as the four best teams in the country, being the fifth best team in the country. That's realistically exactly where we're meant to be. So you can't sack him on the basis that he's not performing. Um, you can you can make the argument that it's a little bit dull, which, yes, it has been. It has been very can't, frustrating. Can't, can't interject there. Is it not quite dangerous, though, just sticking with someone despite it not being great? Because a lot of the rest of the league's been crap. Because if that happens again, that could be, and, and other teams improve and move on, then you could drop like a like a stone. Yes, yes, and no. And the, I mean, you look at Aberdeen as an example, who are finishing second and third regularly, consistently, and ultimately, I think McInnes had. I, I, this isn't, this isn't a, a Derek McInnes argument. I, I feel that McInnes had outstayed his welcome at Aberdeen by that point as well. And the desire to move in a real different direction has left them where they are this season. They're in a real, real mess now, which is going to take a lot of fixing over the next course, over the next season or two, in order to get them back to where they justifiably feel that they should be. The flip side of that is if if Motherwell at any point were to find themselves under Graham Alexander in a genuine relegation battle, I would back him very comfortably to get us out of it in a way that I maybe wouldn't back him to get us into the top six. And and that he would do the job to get us out of it. Again, it won't be great, it won't be exciting, it's exactly what he did last year. And fine. It's 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 a very diff it's a very it's been a very difficult and a very awkward season for Motherwell. And I think there's been a lot of things a lot of players with injuries at inopportune times and Kevin Van Veen's absolute desire to get booked in every game he plays in leaves us with challenges. Tony Watt departing in the middle of the season Again, just, there's a whole series of things that have happened over the course of the season which have made it very challenging and to ultimately to have lost who was uh, by some distance our best player and still remain roughly where we were meant to be, where we were in the first place. Although it's uh, perhaps not quite as impressive as a team containing such leading lights as uh, Blair Spittle, Ross Laidlaw and Keith Watson uh, being in the conversation about Europe, um, which uh, we, we won't get into the... Uh, manager of the year uh, type discussions at the moment but uh, it's interesting to say the least <sighs> right fine we're done with the top six we'll touch on Hibs Aberdeen at the end but let's just get this over with so Mirren 2 Dundee nil. Charlie Adam decides to cross the ball to Alex Greaves in what is probably still struggling to make the top 10 of the most depressing despairing and just generally god-awful moments uh, of this season for me, uh, supporting Dundee. But that result uh, leaves uh, the relegation battle looking quite similar to the title race in that it is basically over, but it's a bit like that awesome power scene of, you know, why won't you just die? Um, and it's just not quite over yet. Um, so a failure uh, to win uh, against Hibs, on Tuesday evening, we'll see Dundee relegated uh, straight back down after coming up through the playoffs. Um, how likely do you think it is that Mark McGee, a man who has failed to win in, ooh, I think 13 league games now, um, with a win percentage of 0%, for those of you who are, did not get your standard grades in maths, how likely do you think that is, guys? Do you think that's going to happen? Or do you think I'm going to be sapped in that bloody Shankly end? Not even the Shankly end, what am I talking about? Oh, just someone else talk because this is just absolutely doing my head and I just want the season to be over. I want us to get rid of McGee. I want rid of Rusk. Just bring me anybody. I don't care. Bring me joy. Bring me. No, I'm a Dundee fan. I don't even expect joy. I just 
mid-table mediocrity, Tony. That's all I want. A little bit of the Paul Hartley era. Mid-table mediocrity. I could moan about Kane Hemmings. Ooh, he's not scored in a few games. Instead of this, whatever this is. I would... If you're asking for a prediction, which I presume you're probably not, I reckon Danny Mullen's going to score against Hibs on Tuesday night because it's coming to the end of the season and that's the only point. Danny Mullen scores at the start of the season, scores at the end of the season, doesn't really score in the middle of the season. So my 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 money is on Danny Mullen scoring to defeat Hibs on Tuesday night, <laughs> oh, if you're asking. How, how grim it'll be for Hibs if, they're, if we only beat Dundee once out of four times <laughs> this season. <laughs> and that was an old goal for a diving header. <laughs> Dundee have now won one game since December 1st at Tynecastle. Um, so, um, strangely, uh, capital teams seem to be uh, a, a good place for us to go. But I, th- I think we, we really should try and touch on the game rather than just my memory. Yeah, sorry. My main question for you is, is talk to me about Charlie Adam in general in that I haven't seen a huge amount of Dundee this season and watching him on highlights, you see him do things. Is he... A detriment to Dundee at this point, quite aside from his the the, the chaotic back pass. Well, again, not, he's not even a back pass. I've no idea where he was trying to put the ball, but that's what Charlie Adam happens when he uses his right foot. But what, like, how kind has ever been on sports scene? Well, it's because he's good. That, <laughs> it's because he's a good player. That is the reason that he's decided to inexplicably cross the ball in for for someone to to knock in at the back post. I thought that is that is. At, at this point, is he, is he a detriment to Dundee or does he remain a, a, an active and positive part of the starting eleven? You're, you're asking a few questions there. I think we probably have to discount the current situation, by which I mean, let's not think about the next two games and think about both his contribution this season and what he could do next season in the Championship. So this season, um, I mean, this is slightly out of, out of date now, um, but we have only gained five of our points um, in games when he has not played or has played less than 45 minutes. And the other 21 have come from games in which he has played. And that is basically 50% of the season. So if I do some very quick maths and if I talk long enough to let me do the maths, that is just over... Well, it's... What's that? 15, 19... It's yeah. Um, I, I should have worked this out beforehand because uh, that would be far less painful for all concerned. But at some point, eighty-five percent of our points have come from the half of games that he's played in. And on the the sort of pro, if if I was in court defending uh, Charlie, someone's Adam, got to uh, on sort of crimes against football. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't going near that. Um, on sort of crimes against football, you know, you could point out that, you could point out just you know his set-piece delivery, his range of passing is still there. He he is also a player that I have seen teams double up on uh, this season, which then obviously does create space. Obviously the problem is we have no other players that can take advantage of that space. Um, and he is someone that you can, you know, if you accept his limitations and what you've got to do to fit him into the team, which is what we did in the championship and what we did to some extent at the start of the season, then yes, he is still an attribute. But the problem is, it's all the other stuff. So it's the fact that you are having to try and build the team around him. Like against St. Mirren, our midfield was him and Niall McGinn and Paul McGowan in centre mid. Um, I mean, we could I could spend an entire podcast speaking about Mark McGee. I'm not going to because he also in be history. But, you know, for... Dundee, I think, 
you know, you've seen the headlines about, you know, when Charlie Allen gets subbed off, there's clearly no love lost between him and McGee, um, you know, sort of storming off when he's been subbed. Um, not a very happy bunny, it seems. Um, you know, there's all sorts of rumours about who's in the frame next season. Jack Ross has been mentioned. I'd be delighted with that. The other rumour that seems to, um, they seem to have equal weight within the uh, Dundee Twitter sphere is that Charlie Adams is going to be player manager next season in the championship. <laughs> Which is just, it's a deeply, deeply Dundee way of doing business. I can't believe that's what it, you just that's said. That's exactly what I was going to say is if, if, if I said to you, right, there's a football team, they could appoint Jack Ross, who is probably the manager that teams in parts of the top tier and parts of the second tier would be desperate to bring in in the summer if they could to do something. Or you can appoint a 34-year-old uh, central midfielder on a version of the same basis that you appointed the manager who failed and resulted in you bringing in Mark McGee instead. Which one would you pick? For 99% of clubs in Scotland, you go, well, obviously they're going to try and get Jack Ross. But it's Dundee. It's, Dundee. it's going to be Charlie Because so it's, it's, just, it's just what we do. Just simply on the basis that Jack Ross is better to look at, I'd, I'd, I'd rather they appointed Jack Ross. Yeah, Jack Ross doesn't actually do, yeah. actually doesn't actually do um, goal I mean, like the way that uh, Charlie Adam literally did after he made that cross. <laughs> on St Mirren, though. On St Mirren, though. Interesting. Um, I'm quite curious. Uh, I, I, it was a full time when they were asking Stephen Robinson about... Well, you, obviously, they're a very... Sort of fortnight period where things look were looking very very sticky um, for them. That said, they've they're finishing the season on a high um, at the very least. I think there's there's going to be a huge turnover at St Mirren. Would be my would be my guess. They've obviously about to point Keith Lasley as the new Tony Fitzpatrick. Um, Robinson's was highlighting as well that he's brought in a whole series of staff as well, which is what made the difference um, at Motherwell when he was with us as well. He brought in a lot of guys and immediately we were fitter, we were stronger, we were faster. It was just a, a better prepared team. And for, for better for worse at playing football, doesn't really matter. But if you're, if you are, it's easier to back a team if they all look like they're going to run through a brick wall for you. Um, and I would imagine, as you say, as I was saying, there's going to be a, a big tunnel of players. They've already got uh, Marco Hara coming in to add a, a little bit of something else to that midfield who I think is a much better option in there than Alex Gogic. Um, it just in terms of mobility, it gives you more flexibility in how you want to play. I would imagine, presumably, that will be the end of Curtis Main at St Mirren, despite what was a very, very nice goal in the game as well. Um, and there's a whole collection of players there that he already knows and, and, and recognises from his time at Fur Park as well, and Charlie Dunn and Richard Tate as well. There is a collection of guys that are relatively talented as well. Um, and broadly, I would say, from Robinson's time at Motherwell, his main strength was taking players and making them better, um, which seems like a really simple thing to do, but it seems like a really obvious thing to say. But pretty consistently, the players that he brought in were guys that had particular actors, like Charlie Dunn was very, very quick, but quite injury prone. So we utilised him in a way that made most of the fact that he was very, very quick. Um, and he, he was good at that, identifying strengths of players and then utilising them in a very particular way. So I think it's an interesting season next year for St Mirren. Again, as this season has shown, some of the bigger teams are having a bit of a shambolic time. So they're, again, potentially an opportunity for someone to creep in there in the way that Ross County and Motherwell have this season. Obviously, the uh, the victory for St Mirren ensured that they would 100% not be in the playoff position. That is now incredibly likely to be the boys of Perth, St Johnson, um, who briefly looked as if they were about to confirm Dundee's relegation 
until uh, a very late goal from Jack Fitzwater secured Livingston a share of the spoils at Annandale. Um, I, I don't really have too much to say about Livingston. I think it's probably better for us to focus a little bit on St. Johnson. I mean, now that we know that it's likely that they will be playing the, the victors out of our growth and Cali, how do we rate their chances? I, I always find it so difficult to actually compare and contrast. I, I feel like whatever division I have been watching this season, I'm always biased towards that division, uh, whether it's Premiership or Championship, and think, and I, I don't know if it's because, in a weird way, because I'm seeing the teams more. I think, well, you know, they've got this player that's dangerous, they've got that player that's dangerous, they've done this, they've done that. Um, so usually, and I think just because of the longevity of St. Johnson in the top tier, it's strange, it's quite, in a way, difficult to actually imagine a top tier without St. Johnson for me now. But equally, I, I mean, I, I think we've discussed this, Graham, I don't know if I've said it to you, Tony, but I feel like it'll be it'll be Cali in the playoff final. And the more the time goes by, I mean, St. Johnson are have not really pulled away from Dundee so much as Dundee have wilted away from St. Johnson. And they have continued to be a, a very scrappy, mediocre, pretty awful side uh, and somewhere there is a St. Johnson fan who made a pact with the devil last season that is probably my, my, regretting my things biggest, a little. My biggest problem with with St. Johnson and and I mentioned this recently is it's never changed. They never look like they're in they, they never play like they're in trouble. They never play like they're, 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 they're never aggressive. They never seem to be like desperately pushing and desperate like they never get caught out with balls over the top of anything because they're pushing loads of guys forward. It's all very it's quite safe and every it's like they, it's like they don't feel like it's really happening to them, and it and it couldn't possibly happen to them. And I noticed that last week because when I watched them play last week, I, I watched the full game, and all I saw them do the only thing that lent itself to thinking that they were in a bit of trouble is they started taking bodies a few times and and, and kicking people and being willing to take bookings and going in quite hard. But that was the only thing that would sort of allude you to thinking oh this is a team that's that's in really deep deep fucking bother and it's like they've just been getting themselves set up for the playoffs but I worry that they're just not going to be able to turn it on for for these two games and if I was a broth or Inverness now I would be honestly rubbing my hands a bit about playing that St John's team because he's tried so many different ways last week even for 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 brief time, he even moved away to a back four, which, as we spoke about, showed for Callum Davidson real desperation because he's been wedded to that shape and formation so much. But I suppose anything's possible. I mean, James Brown came off the bench and on the left hand side and swung in sort of a beautiful ball for for a goal. So he did something. Did something. Yeah. Did something. James <laughs> Brown did something, which is magical. But um, yeah, I, I'm 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 really starting to. To, to to worry about what they're how they're going to do it. I mean, I like the fact they made the change that put Rooney into to right wing back again, which I think smart because he's the, probably their their best bet to to really to really do something. But I mean, Kai McPherson was pulled in now to play the the number ten role. I, I don't think. I mean, he was passing the ball backwards really regularly. I was looking at his stats for that. But he had a pretty bland game playing in a sort of number 10 role. It was much more of a defensive sense. He was winning a lot of duels. He was winning a lot of tackles. He was pressing well, but he wasn't bringing any sort of guile or, or quality to to the role. And I just I just don't see where they're going to get anywhere because they just don't have 
anything. I mean, Hendry, who's been pretty good since he came back, he made sort of a woeful decision going in one-on-one with the goalie when he decided not to pass. And and I found that was quite selfish, and I wonder if that's quite telling at, at, at that moment for, for, for him to do that. Um, so I, I, I'm starting to... I never thought this any other time, but I am starting to get pretty worried about St Johnston now. I, my, my feeling... Sorry, Gary, you go. I was just going to say is that the extent of the potential turnover as well um, this, in the close season, because you imagine that there's quite a few players probably holding off to, to see what uh, what league uh, they would potentially be playing in next year. Obviously, it's, it's looking likely that Xander Clark will be away, um, but then obviously, you know, you've got Sean Rooney, you've got Jamie McCarr, uh, I think Callum Hendry's out of contract this summer. You've then also got just that sort of generational change of, you know, Liam Craig and Murray Davidson, you know, potentially, you know, they might hang around next year, but, you know, it does feel like it's a bit of a sliding doors moment for St. Johnson, not just because they might go down, but it does feel as if there's, you know, a whole a whole load of rebuilding work. Whatever happens in the summer is going to have to take place, and it's, you know, what is the environment going to be? And for- particularly given how poor the recruitment has been over the last 18 months as well, that's got to be alarming for them. My feeling overall is that if St Johnston play our growth in the playoffs, I think they will lose. Um, I don't think St Johnston have enough goal threats. I think our growth will be quite happy to dig in for 180 minutes, take a goal and see it out. I don't think St Johnston have enough goal threats in order to, to penetrate it. On the flip side, if they play Inverness in the playoff final, I think Callum Hendry will have enough to see them through it. Um, I don't think it'll be pretty and I think they'll scrap it out and do it. I think if it's our growth, I think our growth will dig in. And I think they'll do just about enough to get to 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 turn them over, which is again, it's, it, I know it's a kind of a, a an overdone trope by this point as well. But that's wild uh, to 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 think back to this time last to year. Win the double last year and then get relegated by a, a part time team the year after is like possibly the biggest swing in history. If someone wants to give me the contact details for the devil, uh, I will take them. I think I, I think I, I agree with you, Tony. I think it's just it's just not there's just not enough there. They don't look, and again, maybe it's because they they aren't really in any great jeopardy at the moment. But they don't look like a side that's worried. Um, they don't look like a side that's terrified at the fact they're going down. And again, I've I've seen that side a few times um, from my own perspective as well. Um, and you can see the teams and they either react in terms of going delving within their shell or they come out and start leathering people one way or another either way but that living within living with that sort of fear of it is important and seeing how you react from it and they just don't it's seem no to really have to the it play whatsoever and even even when normally teams are are in trouble it doesn't mean the quality necessarily goes up but the the endeavor goes up you always see it the, the crunching tackles they they try to move the ball quickly they try to get people turning people start committing themselves and and just taking risks and it's just never happening. I just I'm I'm just struggling to see that changing overnight, ready for this playoff game now. Uh, I, I mean, they, they they touched on it in sports, you know, about how important the results are in terms of confidence in the next two games. But I'm actually more along the I'm thinking more the performances would be more what I'd be bothered about now in terms of giving me confidence rather than the results because I just would you need to see like. 
a showing of life, a showing of, of care, and a showing of panic. And I know people say that you don't want to panic, but you want to see that they've at least got in their brains that we are in serious shit. And like they, they'll have no time to build a siege mentality because when if they play our broth, for example, everyone in the whole fucking country will want our broth to, to get promoted at that point if, if they're playing. I mean, everyone will be the most pro Dick Campbell thing you've ever seen in your life across every single sort of Scottish football platform. Uh, but there'll be no time for St Johnston to sort of use that to their to their advantage because it'll be, right, you're out and now you're playing them in three days. So I, 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 I think it was a, quite a, a nice point you made there about if they play our broth. I think there's quite a lot of different levels to it. You guys will see it more than me with the, the championship, but um, I, our broth are are fucking hard to score against. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Well, Tony, do you want to, do you, do you want to run us through Hibernian and Aberdeen then, Tony? Because... I'll do this briefly. I mean, I, I, went, I, went, I, I was on a... I, I went on Long Bangers, which is a Hibs podcast. I've never done this before. I've done that yesterday. So I had a chat with them and it was quite nice. They were doing a... Um, they, they like quite a lot of pub chat, so it was quite good fun to sort of do that side for Hibs. But... I mean, trying to sort of grapple out enough to go through this game for a sort of supporters podcast was was not was not easy. Um, there was a free kick inside the box that was exciting. Um, that Ryan put and see seeing a game where there's see a game where there's an indirect free kick and it's just not even that and, and even that not really piquing a bit of interest in it. This felt like the most end oh. of season game that there's ever been with, again, zero jeopardy. Nobody really. Like, there was. Oh God. Aberdeen created a. They, they, they created a chance in the in the first half that was a decent one from, from a decent move. And Paul Hanlon made a good block. From his perspective, Paul Hanlon had his best game in, in, in a, since he came back from injury, possibly, or one of his best games, which is good because. I think with maybe the amount of changes that are going to have to get made next season, I think whether we like it or not, Hanlon's probably going to have to, to be involved in the squad and will we'll, we'll certainly get minutes. Uh, Harry Clark, again, just looks far and away Hibs' best player, which isn't great, considering he's played about six games <laughs> and he already has sort of strolled into that. And that just shows you know about, about someone who's got quality and it doesn't matter how shit a scenario it is or how much... He's not really got much to play for when he comes in, blah, blah, blah. He still looks really good. He cracked, he kicked Lewis Ferguson in the head. Hibbs nearly got a free kick for that. Um, and then Boy Madden must have got told by Linesman that it was definitely a free kick to Aberdeen, which they scored from from a nod down from fucking Declan Gallagher to David Bates, who takes a nice touch and a shot. But for the amount of abuse I've given Bates this season, that's probably me taking my medicine. Um and the Hibs goal came, Jasper came off the bench, Hibs moved to four at the back in the second half, and they brought Jasper on, and for Josh Campbell, who was inexplicably part of the front three <laughs> at the start of this game, and Jasper managed to go past the man, he got in, and we saw it, we witnessed it, James Scott done something tangible in a Hibs shirt, and he nodded it down to Paul McGinn, who scored. So the guy who threatened James Scott and who got kicked out of the game before before the first half finished, because he was warned at him for taking photos with kids, apparently, at the side of the of the game, or allegedly, I'll say, um, he, got, he got kicked out because he threatened him. James, well, he got he actually got something out of James Scott. <laughs> and, uh, and Paul McGinn managed to get the ball home. But, I mean, there's no really much point in reading any more into this. Um, just fucking get the whole thing finished over in the bin. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board with that, Tony. Let's just get the season in the bin and pretend it never happened. I'm absolutely fine with that. Well, that brings us to the end uh, of uh, this week's uh, Monday review of all of uh, the weekend action. Uh, there is one final little bit of weekend action we are going to review on the Patreon, um, which is speaking a little bit about um, what appears to have happened um, at uh, an award ceremony the other night, um, which is like a little bit more of an exploration of um, the uh, the culture, if we can put that uh, well, Gary, Gary, I've people. also... I've, I've... Um, so we're going to have a little bit of a chat about that. I've really, I've really enjoyed being on tonight, and it was worth my while to make sure I missed my sister's bar mitzvah just to be here. So it was great. <laughs> and yeah, so if if you're keen uh, for an, an in-depth exploration of um, the replies to Craig <laughs> Fowler's um, Twitter account, then do come and join us over on the Patreon. Um, he's probably going to put this on a new tier um, of about a hundred pound a month, just so that nobody will listen to it. But... <laughs> Never mind. Um, but yes, anyway, thank you, Graham. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Gary. And we are heading off to Patreon. Come join us and enjoy your midweek football. Sports Social Podcast Network.